0: you to take your bibles and open up to the book of jonah we are going to be in jonah chapter one this morning and as you're turning there i've got a question that i want to ask you guys have you ever got a call on your phone taken your cell phone out of your pocket at the looked at the caller id and said yeah i don't want to answer that call i don't want to take that call i'm sure we've all done it i've done it many times But that's what we're going to look at here in Jonah this morning. We're going to look at a guy that does not want to answer the call. And we're going to get to see what are the consequences for his choice of not wanting to answer that call. And what are the consequences for us if we make that choice to not answer the call that God has placed on our lives. But before we get into that, before we look at Jonah chapter 1 this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a background and a little bit of history of what's going on to get us to the point where we're at here in Jonah. So, as you guys all know, Jonah's a well-known book. I mean, if you were to walk up to somebody on the street, almost anybody, and said, Hey, can you finish my sentence for me? Can you fill in the blank? And you said, Jonah and the blank. What are people going to say? People are going to say the whale, the fish, the big whale, the big fish, right? People have heard the story of Jonah. But really, the book of Jonah is not about the whale. It's not about the big fish. What's the purpose of Jonah? The book of Jonah is about a religious man. It's about a prophet who had all the head knowledge in the world. He knew everything there was to know about the Word of God. He was a prophet. God spoke with him. But he did not have the heart of God. And you know, sometimes as we study the Bible ourselves, it's so easy for us to become like Jonah, right? What does knowledge do? The Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I want to take a look at a couple reasons why the book of Jonah was written before we get into it. The book of Jonah wasn't only written to tell us about Jonah, or to give us a picture of Jonah's story. One of the reasons it was written, it was written so that Jonah's people, the Israelites in his time, could see that Jonah's story was a picture of who they were. See, the Israelites did not think that anybody outside of Israel should be saved. So if you were a Gentile, you weren't an Israelite, they figured you were just fuel for the fire of hell. That's how they looked at anybody outside of Israel. But the book of Jonah was also written for anybody who knows the truth for anybody who knows what God's heart is, for anybody who knows what God's call is, yet they decide to turn, to ignore the call that He's placed on their life to turn and run. So it's my prayer this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 1 that God would change our hearts, that God would work on each and every one of our hearts so that we would have a heart like God does, a heart like God has for the lost, and that we would see ourselves here in Jonah chapter 1, that we would see ourselves in Jonah. So just a little more of history and background before we get into it. Jonah is one of those books that is attacked a lot. There's a lot of liberal scholars out there that claim that Jonah never took place. That it was just a story. That it was just a figurative story. It was just an allegory to show who the Israelites were. So the Israelites could see themselves in the story. So was Jonah real or not? Was he a real guy or is he just just a story to show the Israelites who they were? And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But just so that you know, Jonah... Jonah is found in the Minor Prophets. It's book number 5 out of 12 in the Minor Prophets. And they aren't the Minor Prophets because of what they contain. They're just as important. They're called the Minor Prophets because they're just smaller prophetic passages. And when you look at these 12 different Minor Prophets, they were all written to warn of an impending judgment that was coming. So when you look at the book of Jonah... We see that the author is not mentioned. So we do not know who wrote the book of Jonah. Most scholars would say that it was Jonah, but we don't know. We don't know for sure. So who is this guy? Who is Jonah? Was he real or was he not? So if we look in Scripture, Jonah is mentioned in a few different places. So let's see. What can we figure out about Jonah by looking in the passages that are there? So if you look in 2 Kings... Chapter 14, verse 25, this is what it says. And this is God speaking. It says that he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So, Jonah's mentioned there. And we know from Second Kings, chapter 14, during this time frame, that the king that was on the throne in Israel at that time was Jeroboam II. So Jeroboam II, he was a wicked king. He was a king that did not do right in the sight of the Lord. He did not have a heart that followed after God. And so we also know that during the time of Jeroboam II, that there were other prophets on the scene. Hosea and Amos were on the scene prophesying at the same time. So we know from this passage of Scripture, from these sections of Scripture, that Jonah was a contemporary prophet with Hosea and Amos at the same time. Now, if you look at Hosea and Amos, what they were prophesying, they were prophesying that there was judgment coming. That there was judgment coming from a nation from the east known as the Assyrians, which just happens to be one of the prominent capital cities of the Assyrians was Nineveh, which is going to tie into Jonah chapter 1, which was where we're, at, where we're going to be at this morning. So, when we look at what Jonah prophesied and what Hosea and Amos were prophesying, we can see that Jonah had prophesied that, there was, that God was going to bring some blessing to Israel. And that Hosea and Amos were prophesying that God was going to bring judgment on Israel. And when you look, all three of them were right. But if you're King Jeroboam II, who are you going to gravitate towards? Probably Jonah. If Jonah's prophesying that God's going to bring some blessing, I'm going to want to listen to him. So it's very likely that because of this, Jonah was a well-liked prophet in the land. He was probably a highly favorable prophet. He was probably well-respected among the people. And we know that he was a religious man. He's a prophet. God speaks to him. So what else can we learn about Jonah from the Word? If you go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus speaking, says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the... Sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus speaking here refers to Jonah as a real person. So what we have, Jesus referring to to Jonah as a real person, we know that Jonah's on the scene when Jeroboam II is reigning over Israel, that he's a contemporary with Hosea and Amos. So I'd say Jonah's a real guy. Jonah's story really happened. Now, like I told you, Amos and Hosea were prophesying that there was going to be judgment coming from a nation from the east, from the Assyrians. So who are these Assyrians? Real quickly, let's take a look. Who are these Assyrians and what was Nineveh like before we get into Jonah chapter 1 so we can understand? I want you to understand who Jonah was being called to go to and I want you to understand where Jonah was being called to go. So who are these Assyrians? These Assyrians were some of the cruelest people that ever walked the face of the earth. Some of the things that they would do in battle, if you got conquered by the Syrians, you could expect your tongue to be ripped out and left to die. You could expect your hands, your feet, your lips, your noses to be cut off and left to die. You could expect to be buried in the ground up to your head with your head just exposed and be left to die. They would stretch people between poles and skin them alive. Take those skins and tack them on the city walls that they were conquering. They would take poles, stick them in the ground with a sharp end up in the air, ran the sharp end through the, underneath the ribcage and let gravity pull you down and slowly kill you. This is who the Assyrians were. And when people heard that the Assyrians were coming, they were terrified. These guys were brutal, cruel people. And what I want you to remember is that, remember is that this is the people that God was calling Jonah to. So Nineveh, what was Nineveh like? Like I told you, Nineveh was one of the prominent capital cities of Assyria. It was located on the eastern banks of the Tigris River. And there were approximately 1,200 towers in that city that were about 200 feet tall. The wall around that city was 100 feet high and it was wide enough that three chariots could sit side by side on top of that wall. It was estimated during Jonah's time that the population of Nineveh was anywhere from 600,000 to a million people. So it's a pretty big city. It's a great city. It was a magnificent city. And that's the place that Jonah was being called to go to. So let's take a look. Jonah chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Let's pray. Lord, I, just, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray this morning that each person that's in here, Lord, that their lives would be changed, that your word would impact them, and that their hearts would be broken, that their hearts would be broken for the loss that's around them. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our ears right now to what you have to say and that you would just guide us and direct us in your name, I pray. Amen. So let's back up to the beginning of Jonah. Jonah. Verse 1, this is what it says. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So this is Jonah's call. It starts out as any of the other minor prophets would start. It starts out exactly how you would expect the minor prophets to start. The word of the Lord came to the prophet. Right? That's what it says. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we see that this is God's call for Jonah here. And it's a very specific call. Look, it says, arise, go to Nineveh. That word arise there in the Hebrew is quam. It means to wake up, to stand up, to get going. And you look at that next phrase, arise, go to. That go to phrase in the Hebrew is hulk. And when you put those two verbs together, quam, hulk, what it means, it means to get up and go now. So what God is telling Jonah, he's saying, get up and go now. Don't wait, don't hesitate, don't even think about it. Just get up and go. That's the call that God put on Jonah's life. So Jonah was called to go cry out to that city. He was called to go preach that city. He was called to call them to repentance. That's God's mercy. It's God's mercy to call them to repentance. And throughout this chapter, what you're going to see, and if you continue on and you read the whole book, you're going to see the same thing. There's a theme that's running through here. And one of the major themes that you're going to see running through here is a contrast. It's a contrast between God and Jonah. You're going to see that God is sovereign and that God is merciful and Jonah is not. So God's sovereign, God's merciful, Jonah is neither one. And that is going to run through this whole chapter and we'll see that and we'll take a look at it as we go through so you look you look at the call, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That phrase, come up before me, means to cause to rise. So it's like if you took, uh, if you took raw chicken, put it in your trash can in the middle of summer, set it outside, and came back in a week and took off the lid. That stench that hits your nostrils is what God is saying here. He's saying that e- their evil has risen to my face, and I've got to respond to it. He's saying their evil has risen to my face and I must respond to it. So, God, here, what's God doing? He's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, if you're Jonah, and I'm sure Jonah was a little confused at this point, I'm sure he's a little perplexed at what's going on. I'm sure he wants to ask God, you say, You want me to go to someone other than an Israelite? You want me to go to somebody other than my own country? I'm sure that's what he's thinking. He's probably also thinking, man, we're God's people. These guys are not. God, do you know who these Assyrians are? These guys are terrible people. They're brutal people. They are cruel people. But if you look as we move on into verse 3, you're going to see that Jonah's confusion, what it does is it quickly becomes rebellion. Look at verse 3. It says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So what we get to see in this verse is we get to see Jonah's attitude. We also get to see Jonah's response. And we see where Jonah's heart is really at. Notice what is mentioned several times in this verse. Three times Tarshish is mentioned. And it's done for a reason. And it's a simple reason. The author is trying to emphasize something very simple. He's emphasizing the fact that Jonah is going to Tarshish. That's it. He's emphasizing that. But if you also notice, there's another word that's repeated in here, the word down. And as you go through this chapter, you're going to see that down is continually repeated through here. And there's a reason for it. What did God call Jonah to do? Arise, get up and go. So what this verse is doing is is it's pointing out that Jonah is doing the exact opposite of what God has called him to do. So instead of rising and going to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat and heads towards Tarshish. So what's so specific about Tarshish? Why is he heading to Tarshish? If you look, and I don't know how many many of you actually watched the VeggieTales video of this, but it actually is extremely accurate in this point. When he pulls down the map when he's going to buy the ticket, where's Tarshish on the map? It's around the corner. It's off the map. So really what's going on here is Jonah is going to the farthest place that was known by man for land at that point. He is going as far as he can go to get away from God's call. So Jonah here, he was called to go to the northeast, to go to Nineveh. What does he do? Instead, he goes west, gets on a boat and heads 2,500 miles to the west. That's his intentions. He wanted to go as far as he could go to get away from what God had him to do. So it would be like somebody from here today in southern Idaho being called to go to the northeast to go to Wyoming. Instead saying, no, I don't want to go. Heading towards the coast, getting on a boat and heading towards Japan or China. It would be the same type of thing. That's what Jonah was doing. And what I want you to realize here, I want you to realize what's going on. I want you to see how hard Jonah is trying to get away from God. I want you to see how hard he's trying to flee what God has for him. I want you to think about what he's left. He's left his home. He's left his family. He's left everything that he has to board a ship to get away from what God wants him to do. And he's done this at a great personal expense. It's estimated that to board a ship like that for a trip like that would have probably cost a guy a year's worth of wages. So it wasn't a cheap trip. And he's doing this because he does not want to follow the call that God has for him. So this has got to lead you to the question of why. Why would he want to do this? Why would Jonah run so hard from God's call? And if you think about that a little bit, there's an answer that should jump out in your mind. The seemingly obvious answer would be, well, he's afraid of the Assyrians. Remember, these are cruel guys. These are brutal people. And who knows how they're going to respond to the message that he's going to bring them. They may skin him alive as well. They may rip his tongue out because they don't like what they hear. But if you go through the book of Jonah, you're going to find out that this is not the case at all. He is not afraid of the Assyrians. He's not even afraid to die. Let's take a look. Because he gives us the answer. Jonas gives us the answer himself. Flip over a couple pages to the right to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is why he's running. This is why he does not want to answer God's call. It says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." So really what I want you to think about, this is the first thing that I want you to take home with you today. Running from the God of grace is prideful. The reason we run is because of our pride, because we do not want to obey what God has for us. Now when you look at this section of Scripture, Jonah's answer to why he doesn't want to go, and you follow this thing through, and you think about it, it would be so easy for any of us to say, well, I would never do that. I would never say anything like that. That is crazy the way that Jonah's talking. No way would I tell God to go ahead and kill me because I don't want to follow through with what he has for me. But if you think about it, every time that we run from God, it's because actually we are saying, no, God, you know what? My way is better than your way. That's what Jonah's doing. And we do the exact same thing. Every time we avoid God's call to make disciples. Or every time we avoid God's call to become disciples. Or every time we avoid God's call to go take His word to the people that He's placed on our heart and we try to get away from that call, we're doing the exact same thing. We're saying, no, God, you know what? My way is better than your way. I'm comfortable where I'm at. And when we see those people that He has called us to, the people that are lost, do our hearts break for them Or do we just have contempt for them? Because ultimately, this is the ultimate question in this chapter, and as you go through the whole book, the question that the author wants to get us to ask of ourselves is Are our hearts like God's heart? Or are our hearts like Jonah? Do our hearts break for the lost? Or do we just have contempt for them like Jonah? See, Jonah here, he was filled with pride. Jonah was filled with arrogance. He loved his country. He loved his people. He loved his way of life. But he did not want repentance to come to the Assyrians. He did not want God's mercy to come upon them. He did not want God's compassion to fall on those people. See, running from the God of grace is prideful. Now, how is that pride manifested? I'm sure in Jonah in many different ways, but I think the primary way that it is manifested is in his self-righteousness. I'm sure if Jonah would have been called to go to his fellow countrymen in Israel and call them to repent, I'm sure he would have been more than glad to do it, but not Nineveh. I'm sure he would have been more than happy to go to to his brothers and say, Guys, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your way." but not his enemy. He didn't want to go to his enemy. He didn't want to go to the ones that he hated. He didn't want to go to the ones that weren't like him or didn't think like him. All that Jonah had for the Assyrians was contempt. Why? Why is it that he had contempt for them? It's because what we went back what we talked about in the beginning, because he felt like Israel deserved God's blessings, not them. He felt like he deserved God's Blessings, not them. And when you think about self righteousness, self righteousness can so easily grow in our hearts. All we have to do is think for a moment that our righteousness comes for our, from ourselves instead of Christ. And it's so easy to do sometimes. All we've got to do is start looking, or actually, all we've got to do is even start thinking that, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. Or I'm a pretty moral person. I'm not doing what these guys are doing over here. I'm not doing what they're doing over there. Look at what they're doing. And if we have that heart, if that's our mindset, then how can our hearts be broken for the lost? They can't. It's not possible. See, our hearts have got to be broken for the lost. We have to remember that apart from God's grace, that would be us. Every time we look at somebody and we say, well, look at their lifestyle or look at what they're doing. Do you realize that? But apart from God's grace, that would be every single one of us. Without God's grace, we'd be blinded in our sin. Without God's grace, we would be walking in darkness. Without God's grace, we would have no idea that God loved us. And the book of Jonah... It was written to Israel to wake them up of their self-righteous pride. But the book of Jonah was also written to us to wake us up of our self-righteous pride. And we have got to guard ourselves. We have got to guard our hearts. We need to rest in the grace of Jesus. And that every person that we would see, that we would see them as God sees them. Through the blood of Jesus. Not, through, not by their behavior, not by their actions, not by their attitudes, but as a heart that needs Jesus. So what about us? How do we treat people that aren't like us? How do we treat people that are lost in their sin? And let me turn those questions around and make them more personal. How do you treat people that are not like you? How do you treat people that are in sin? Do we stand back from a distance and judge them? Or is our heart broke for them? What did Jesus do? Jesus stood on a hill and wept over Jerusalem. He wept for the lost. And Jesus' heart is weeping for the lost to the people that he has called us to. There's lost all around us. Each and every one of us has access to people that nobody else does that would never walk through these doors. That's our mission field. He has called us to those people. And does our heart break for them like God's heart breaks for them? Or are we self-righteous, filled with our own pride? See, Jonah ran because he did not have a heart for the people like God did. So we've seen the reason of why Jonah ran, and it was because of his pride. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at what are the results of that choice that he made to run from God. So the second thing that I want you to realize here this morning is that running from the God of grace is ridiculous. It is ridiculous to run from God, if you think about it. It's pointless. And why? Why is it ridiculous? Because God is sovereign. God is ruler and king over all the nations. God is ruler and king over all peoples. And God will accomplish his will. So the only question that's left for you and me is, will will you and I receive the blessing of being a part of God's mission? Or will we be like Jonah, who receives the consequences of rejecting Jonah's call, or rejecting God's call? So look at this. Go back with me to chapter 1, verse 4. I want to show you something in here. God is sovereign everywhere. He is sovereign over the forces of nature. Look at verse 4. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. So who sent the wind? It's God. God sent the wind. So we see that God is sovereign over nature. Jump down with me to verse 6, and we'll come back to verse 5 in just a minute. It says, so that the captain came to him amid and said to him, what do you mean sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. See, the captain finds Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the ship. And he comes to him and he says, what are you doing asleep? How could Jonah sleep anyway? He's wondering. I mean, they're in a massive storm. These guys are sailors. They're used to being on the sea. These guys are scared. Jonah is from a people that are not a seafaring people. And he's sleeping through this. And so this guy's wondering, how can you even be sleeping? But what I want you to notice here is that this captain uses very specific language. Look what he says. He says, arise, call on, or it's arise, cry out. And what I want you to know is that it is the exact same Hebrew words that are used in verse 1 when God calls Jonah. So think about it. Jonah, he's sitting here sleeping, and he wakes up hearing, arise, call on, or arise, cry out. And instead of it being God, it's this captain. So what's going on is God is sovereign here. He is literally using the mouth of this unsaved captain to speak to Jonah. So what I want you to notice, in verse 4, we see that God is sovereign over nature. In verse 6, we see that God is sovereign over people. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So what they were doing is, this was a very common way of trying to decide stuff in that time. And what God's doing here is, is using the practice that they were doing to have Jonah's lot picked. So what we see here, we see that God is sovereign over chance. God is sovereign, Jonah is not. So we see, we see in verse 5 that God's sovereign over nature. We see in verse 6 that God is sovereign over man. We see in verse 7 that God is sovereign over chance. Now back up with me back to verse 5. It says, then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. See, these sailors here, they knew if something did not happen, they were going to die. So what did they do? It says that they called out to their gods. But really, when you look, why did they call out to their gods? because they were afraid so what were they afraid of what were they fearful for and what you're going to see here is that this word fear is used three times in this section of scripture in chapter 1 and through this whole thing the word fear is going to build on itself and it builds all the way through chapter 1 and it ultimately comes to the fear of God is what it comes to so where is Jonah in all of this though He's asleep. He's down. That word comes up again. He's down in the bottom of the ship asleep. And these sailors are there fearing for their lives and fearing the raging sea. Now, jump with me down to verse 8. So, we've gone through the captain coming, speaking to Jonah, casting lots, Jonah's lots picked. So, these guys, these sailors, they want to know. What's going on? So they ask him some questions in verse 8. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? These guys wanted to know what's happening. And Jonah knew. Jonah knew the whole time what was going on. And God is continuing to tell Jonah, You're not going to get away from me. I am sovereign, you're not. You're not going to get away from my call. You're not going to avoid what I'm doing. Now, Jonah answers those questions in verse 9. It says, So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So when Jonah answers these questions from verse 8, notice what he doesn't answer. He does not answer what his occupation is. He does not tell them that he's a prophet. He is giving the minimal amount of information that he has to. Yet what's what's going to happen with this, though, is God is going to use that minimal amount of information to get his will accomplished. Look at verse 10. It says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. There's that word afraid again. It's the same word that was used back in verse 5. It means terror. So here in this verse, in verse 10, the object of the sailors' fear here is that God was in control of the storm. That God was in control of the sea. He was in control of all of this. And that Jonah had run from that God. So you see, their fear has changed. In verse 5, their fear has gone from a fear for their lives and a fear of the raging sea to verse 10, a fear of the God that can control the seas and the storm. And what we're going to see as we get to the end of it, that that fear is ultimately going to change to worship. To worship of the one true God. So the very thing that Jonah did not want to have happen, the very thing that he didn't want to see take place, that is going to take place, that those outside of Israel are going to receive God's mercy. Those outside of Israel are going to receive God's grace. And it was being accomplished despite what Jonah wanted to have happen. Look at verse 11. It says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. For then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now we can look at this and we think, Wow! Jonah, what a heroic guy. He is willing to die to save all these people on the ship. But that's not really what's going on. Think about it. Notice what Jonah did not say. What could have he said? He could have said, hey, if you turn this ship around, take me towards Nineveh so I can go preach the word that God's called me to do, the sea will become calm. So what's he doing? What did he say? He said, kill me. Throw me overboard. That way, I can't do what God's called me to do. That way, God's word, God's mercy can't get to the people that I don't want saved. See, he is in such a place in his mind that he would rather die than to have to take God's message to the people he doesn't want to see saved. That's where Jonah's at. Now, there's contrast going on here in many different levels, and there's another contrast I want you to pick up coming into verse 13. There is contrast between the sailors... And Jonah, look what the sailors do in verse 13. It says, "Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land." See, these men are showing mercy to Jonah. These heathen sailors, they're trying to get him back to land. They don't want to kill him. So these sailors, these sailors that don't know who God is, are showing mercy to Jonah. And then you have Jonah, who's supposed to be like a Christian. Jonah, who's supposed to be the one that's fearing God, Jonah, the one who's supposed to have a heart of mercy, he doesn't fear God at all. He doesn't have any mercy. And then there's these sailors showing mercy and beginning the fear of the Lord. But look at their effort was in vain. Look at verse 13 again. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. The storm became worse. So what did they do? Look at verse 14. They called out to the Lord. In verse 14 it says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Notice what's used there in that verse. Lord is used twice, and it's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the Tetragrammaton. It is the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. These sailors are using God's personal name, crying out to God. So these pagan sailors, what's happening is they're being converted to the Lord. They're fearing God. They're seeing the sovereignty of God. They're seeing the mercy of God. But who's not? Jonah's not. Look at verse 15. It goes on and says, So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. There's that word again. That word feared is the same word that's used in verse 5 and in verse 10. So what these sailors have done, these sailors have gone from a fear for their lives and a fear of the raging sea to a fear of the God that can control the sea in the storms To a fear of the Lord. To a fear of Yahweh. Their object of fear has changed. It's changed from the raging sea to the one true God. And what does Proverbs tell us? Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It's the beginning of wisdom. Do you see that going on in these sailors? You can see it happening. So the very people that Jonah does not want to be saved are being saved. The very mercy that Jonah does not want to be poured out on the lost is being poured out through Jonah. See, he's going to be an instrument of God's grace and God's mercy whether he goes willingly or whether he goes kicking and screaming. Which has got to lead us to the question. The question that the author wants to get us to ask us of ourselves, and I've already mentioned it once before or twice, is our heart like God's heart. Does it break for the lost? Or is our heart like Jonah's heart? Just contempt. Thankful that the Lord has saved him, but I don't really care about anybody else around me. I don't really care about the lost that are around me. And see, the irony of it, what's going on here, is the exact thing that Jonah didn't want to take place is taking place. The very hearts he never wanted to be transformed are being transformed. And what we see here is we see that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the wind. He's sovereign over the unsaved sailors. He's sovereign over the law of physics. He is sovereign over all created order. God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, and however He wants to do it. He will accomplish His will, and nothing is going to stop Him. So the only question that's left for you and me, then, is are we going to be on mission with Him? Receiving the blessing... Or are we going to be rebellious against him receiving discipline? See, running from the God of grace is ridiculous. You cannot run from the God of grace. God is sovereign and he's going to get done what he wants done. The last thing that I want you guys to see in this is that running from the God of grace is painful. Running from the God of grace is painful. Look at how much pain Jonah was causing in his own life. Look at how much pain Jonah was causing in the lives of those around him. Think about it. What had Jonah left? He had left his home. He left his family. He left his friends. He left his comfort. He paid a huge expense to, that, to board that ship. That's all stuff that cost him because he decided to run from God. He paid physically. He paid spiritually. He was so exhausted from running from God that he was asleep in the bottom of that ship when that storm was out. This guy was so angry, so distressed, so depressed, so disgusted and frustrated with what was going on that he was willing to commit suicide to get away from the call that God had for him. That's what happens. That's what happens when you run from God's call. It's painful. He draws us back, though, right? He draws us back. He disciplines us. He disciplines us in his mercy and his grace. And not only is it painful just for us, but it's painful for those around us. Think about those sailors. Now, if those sailors at best own that ship and own that cargo, they are out all that cargo and all that money. At worst, if those sailors did not own that ship and did not own that cargo, they're probably going to lose their heads. Look at the suffering Jonah was bringing on others that had nothing to do with the situation that he was in. Think about the other boats that were on that Mediterranean Sea at the same time, probably wondering what in the world's going on with this storm. And all of this was because one guy decided he wanted to run from God's call. See, our running from God not only causes pain in our lives, but it causes pain in those around us. And you think about it how many children have been wounded because their parents have decided to run from the call of God? I know there are people that used to be here from teaching their kids in Sunday school that don't go to church at all, anywhere anymore. And those kids, I have watched them beg their parents in parks at baseball games. I've seen them beg their parents to come back to the church when they see their Sunday school teachers, when they see me or see Anna or see any of the other ones. I've watched the kids do it. And I've watched the parents tell them, no, we aren't going to church anymore. What type of a decision does that, how does that impact those kids? Those kids are begging to come. To church yet because those parents have decided to run from god's call it's going to wound those kids see our sin just doesn't affect us it affects everyone around us running from god causes pain now is pain a bad thing no pain is not a bad thing god gave us pain he gave us pain for a reason without pain we could do damage to our bodies beyond repair Think about it, somebody that has leprosy. That bacteria attacks the nerves in the periphery of your extremities so that you cannot feel, you can't feel touch anymore. So if you put your hand in the fire, you would not know until you looked at it and said, oh, my hand's on fire. God gave us pain for a reason. And God puts pain in our lives because He wants us to turn and follow Him. He wants us to answer His call. God wants us to listen to his call. He's like the father waiting for the prodigal son to return, right? He's waiting with his arms open so that he can wrap his arms around us so that he can pour his mercy and his grace on us. But what do we what have we got to do? We have got to stop running. God's merciful though he will continue to pursue you. He continued to pursue Jonah through this whole book. Sometimes he pursues us with a whisper. Sometimes he pursues us with a shout. Sometimes he's got to shake us. Sometimes he's got to bring a sledgehammer to our lives. Don't wait to repent until he's got to bring a sledgehammer to your life. Running from the God of grace is prideful. It's ridiculous and it's painful. So why do we run? Why do we run? It's because of our pride. It's because our heart is not like God's heart. We think our way is better than God's way. Whether we acknowledge it consciously or not, when we decide to run and we don't want to do what God's called us to do, we figure our way's better. Now, there's two ways that I want to apply this before we're done. And I know there's a hundred different ways that we can apply this, but there's two ways that I want to look at it here this morning. The first group of people that I want to apply this to is for those of you that have been running your whole life and you've never turned to the God of grace. You've been running towards sin your whole life. You've been running and looking for answers to life outside of Jesus. And you've never found the grace and the righteousness that can only be found in Jesus. Or maybe you're just even a religious person or a self-righteous person that thinks, well, you know what? If I can just do this and this and this, then God's going to like me. Then God will be okay with me. Then God will accept me. And what I want you to realize, if that's you, I want you to know that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sins, a price that we could never pay. Died in our place on the cross, forgave us of our sins, rose again so that we could have eternal life with Him. So if you've been running your whole life from Him... Turn to Him and confess your sins and call on Him. He will be faithful to forgive you of your sins and you can spend eternity with Him. If that is you this morning, there will be people up here in front after the message is over to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you if that's you. So the second way that I want to apply this is for those of us that are saved. For those of us that have received God's grace. So let me ask you the question, if that's you. Are you running from the commission that God has given you? Because I know that each and every one of you has a call on your life. God has given you a specific call to go fulfill. He has placed specific people on your hearts to go to. I know that. Because He's done the same with me. We each have access to people that nobody else has access to. We can get to places where... People would never walk through these doors when we get to it and we can take his word to them. That is the commission that he's given us. It's the great commission, right? God gave us the great commission. He called us to go and make disciples and preach the gospel to the nations. So let me ask you, are you answering that call or are you running from that call? And as we've seen here in Jonah's life, he chose to run. He did not want to answer that call. And so, what I want you to take with you this morning, what I want you to be thinking about, I want you to keep that question in your mind. Does your heart reflect God's heart? Does it break for the lost? For the lost that he's placed on your heart? Or is your heart like Jonah's heart? Just full of contempt and don't really care about anybody else. I'm thankful that I'm saved, but I really don't care about anybody else. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to all find a little bit of Jonah inside of us. So this morning, it's my prayer. It's my prayer that God would change our hearts, that he would break our hearts for the lost that are around us. I pray that he would change our lives. You know, people around us are crying out to everything other than the one true God. They're crying out just like the sailors did. They're crying out to their gods. They're looking for life outside of Jesus. And really, we're the only ones that have the one true message. And so are we sharing that message? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we loving our friends? Are we loving our coworkers in the way that Jesus would? Now what I want you to notice, and we're almost done, I want you to notice that there's two responses to God's call in this chapter. There's Jonah's response and there's the sailor's response. Jonah's response to God's call is that he runs. The sailor's response to God's call is that they repent. So the question for us is, What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? Are you going to continue to run from God's call? Or are you going to turn and repent? Do you really love your neighbor? Do I really love love my neighbor? Because I'll tell you what, if I do, I'm going to take the word to them. That's what He's asked me to do. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.